Welcome one and all to the New Flesh podcast. My name is Ricky Allpike and we're back with a special edition Mano Amano. We are going to have a look at the films of Dolph Lundgren and are going to say a big hello to Yuri and John. How are you guys going? Very good. Yuri, how are you? Good, good. Um, I, I feel like this time I need to start off with an apology. Okay. Because um, Dolph was my idea. And um, <laughs> I did not know what I was getting us all into. I'd, I'd forgotten. He beat me to it. I am I, sorry. I was going to apologize as well because I picked him. You picked him, but I picked these. And I was like, and I was like, I was like, I'm embarrassed, you know. What, what else? Terrible. What else is there to do? I mean, there's well, like Masters of the Universe. Or well, I'm I'm going to go out there and say that's that's better than these. That's a better movie. Ah, <laughs> uh, so yeah. I'm so we are doing Dolph Lundgren and uh, or Lund, Lundgren, I should say. I should maybe say it properly for once in my life, Lundgren. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just sort of say Lundgren, Lundgren, you know. But uh, so to situate it, he had done uh, View to a Kill, so Bond film uh, with Roger Moore, did Rocky Four, Ivan Drago, Master of the Universe, Red Scorpion, Punisher, Dark Angel, which I love. Then here we are at Showdown in uh, in Little Tokyo. Did Unisol straight after that, so Universal Soldier 1, um, and then Joshua Tree. So we have sort of... What do we say? This is like just a hop, skip, and a jump sort of just before he really blew up, you know? Because Unisol has got to be his um, his biggest film, isn't it? I, I would have thought so, but, but you know, that Unisol's a Van Damme movie, so it wouldn't have been... That, that would have been the only other movie I thought we could have done that may be better than the ones we did. We should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but haven't there been all these terrible sequels, endless sequels to that? Yeah. yeah. Like official and unofficial ones, like right. just endless sequels to it. Isn't he best known for Rocky, though? Well, he is, but that's like, that's the beginning. That's the first film. It's the beginning, really. but I think it's the best he's done. Well, okay, we can redeem this because what we can do is let's revisit him maybe in the new year and we'll do – there's a brand-new cut of Rocky Four. It's called uh, Ivan, uh, Rocky Rocky versus Ivan Drago or some shit. And there's a free documentary, 90 Minutes, Stallone re-editing it, and apparently it's much better. They've cut out the robot and done a bunch of other stuff. So we'll watch that and maybe Universal Soldier. Mm. Do it properly. What do you think? Sounds good. Because tonight, first off, we're talking about Joshua Tree <laughs> from 1993 or Army of One. Um, is the uh, title they went with in some territories because of you too. Mm, so that's right. That's that that I think says a lot about the world we used to live in. The the you know when you, when when there was only a handful of CDs out and a handful of movies out, uh, whether on video or theatrically. Um, this is the stuff you had, to, you had to go. Oh no, we made a movie called Joshua Tree, and there's an album called Joshua Tree. Oh no, we can't do that. Whereas now there's so much shit. Does it even matter? Like you can have series with the same name as a movie. You can have now we can have three different Batmans on the go at once. <laughs> yeah. You know? They're all popping up here mm -hmm. and there. And I'm watching none of them. Welcome to Joshua Tree, a nice quiet place in the sun. <laughs> Dolph Lundgren, a nice quiet guy. <laughs> 
see you turned out exactly like we all hoped. On the wrong side of the law. George Siegel, a tough cop with a badge. Makes no difference to me who makes this arrest. City, county, anything. You like him? I always liked him. But I'm gonna kill him. Kristen Alfonso. Police officer. A tougher cop. Who just got caught. Don't shoot, he's got In the middle. Fasten your seatbelts. And hang on for the ride of your life. Why do you want to die? You want to know what happened then? Watch what happens now. A warrant was issued 40 minutes ago for the arrest of Deputy Marin. She is to be considered not as an abductee, but as an accomplice. It's willpower. Don't underestimate him. He's dangerous. Horse horror. Tick, tock, tick, tock. And firepower. Time's up. At 160 miles per hour. Because when it comes to getting even, I want it all tonight, where everyone goes down. He's taking revenge into overdrive. Joshua Tree. Ex-race car driver Anthony Santee, played by uh, our man Dolph, is smuggling race cars when his road partner Eddie is shot in an altercation that sees a road cop also gunned down. So try and stay with me there. Eddie is gunned down but also is a road cop. With no one else around, Santee is convicted of killing the policeman and sentenced to prison. Now, on the way to serve his sentence, two cops assigned to transport him attempt to murder him, but Santee escapes into the desert only to be, uh, well, only a little shot up. Needing a ride and a hostage, Santi abducts uh, a desert hard body, uh, Rita Merrick, from a gas station. What Santi doesn't know is that Rita is also a deputy sheriff. Hot on the trail, uh, Detective Severance, played by George Siegel, uh, and his partner Rudy, allegedly friends of the dead road cop uh, that Santi is put away for killing. Rita begins to, this is the uh, undercover <laughs> sheriff, Rita begins to doubt Santee's guilt when he shows uh, a lighter touch, beating up some cops instead of killing them uh, when she tries to escape. Santee lets her go and continues on his way to, of all places, Severance's house, wife's house. This is George Siegel's wife. Uh, Santee gets Mrs. Severance to give him the number of a guy called Jimmy Shoeshine, <laughs> someone who owes Santee money, uh, presumably for the deal that went wrong in the beginning of the film. So Santee sets up a meeting at a chop shop later. Uh, it's also apparent that Santee has been porking Severance's old lady, between you and me. Uh, Rita sneaks into the house in order to apprehend Santee, but he gets the jump on her and the pair barely escape from the shotgun-wielding Mrs. Severance. We also discover that Severance... And Rudy are involved in the smuggling operation along with Jimmy Shoeshine and that they are the ones who also want Santee dead. Surprise, surprise. Santee goes to the chop shop uh, to get his end from Jimmy Shoeshine, which he gets after killing about 40 guys. 
Severance and Rudy turn up and kill Jimmy Shushine and another cop, cementing them as the real bad guys. And we also see a flashback revealing that their, their role in the uh, the death of Eddie at the very beginning. So they've killed everyone pretty much who isn't who isn't killed by Santee. Uh, the showdown is in Joshua Tree uh, after some light, sexy times uh, between Santee and Rita. The cops arrive in an epic car chase ensues with Severance and Santee tearing well away from the pack. They ditch the cars and the chase continues on foot. Santee kills Rudy and Severance takes Rita hostage. She gets the jump on him and Santee and Severance have their final fight. The cops arrive and arrest Severance, uh, having discovered his role in the death of the cop uh, at the chop shop. And uh, Santee is presumably uh, set free at the end of the film. This was Joshua Tree. Gentlemen, what did we make of this film? My, my first note is what the fuck is going on? <laughs> I just told you. I told and, you. And I feel like that note serves the rest of the movie quite well. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I feel like this movie could have been much better. Yes. Yeah, because of some of those confusing things. I think there are, there are like elements there that are really good. And I, I, I also think Dolph isn't too bad in this movie. Like, I think we're going to talk about Showdown next, but compared to that, like, he's a lot more stoic and has far fewer lines, which I think suits him better as well, I think. Mm. Um, so I think that that works for him in this case. Um one of my notes here is, wh- why is George Siegel in this movie? That was also one of my <laughs> notes as well. He is, like, in a different movie. But he's the best thing about the movie. <laughs> he, he is, but what's he, did he, like, had he snorted away all his money at this particular well, point? Or, or what no, was- this was the low point. This was a low point because, um, you know, he had his big, his heyday was, this, uh, this, you know, the 60s and the 70s. With a touch of class, and then see, we all remember him from Just Shoot Me. Mm, yeah, but that was after this shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that, that, that he, this was definitely a low point. So he was on the on the comeback trail. But but does he have to wear the hat and have the cigar like like super glued to his lips? You know, right? He was chewing it up. You know, like just <laughs> having too much of a good time. I just don't think. I just don't think the way he played it was like. You know, mastermind, criminal, you know, criminal cop. This movie is what it used to be called straight to video, okay? (laughs) Direct to video. This is not a theatrical feature and it's cheaply made. uh, And you can tell straight away it's got bad cutting, bad acting, um, you know, like from the get go. You know what I mean? They're doing like jump cuts, like a car will go near a cliff and then it'll jump cut to like this specialized angle where it's like divorced from the other shot. And the car will fly off, and you go, "Oh God, geez, this is the editor's had a real tough time here." And um, uh, back in the day, you know, you used to get these videos out, and it might be a while before you realised you'd been had. You know, like you'd go, "Oh no, this is direct to video." So this is cheap, uh, and uh, it really starts to show. But I think the first thing to to note, and I think what you're what you're noticing, is the work of Stephen Pressfield. Yeah. yeah. So Stephen Pressfield is one of our heroes, our absolute heroes, a writer and uh, of a nonfiction work called The War of Art, which is, I didn't know it was so old, 2002, uh, but an incredible piece of, I, I think I've bought that book or given the audio book to dozens of people over the years. I think it's one of the most important things I encourage everyone listening to this go, to go out and get a copy of it immediately. So he, because in that work, it's sort of about his struggles in writing and the dealing with what he calls the resistance, which is that feeling in the pit of your stomach when you should be creating and doing the, the good work that you should be doing, but instead you're on the internet on X hamster or, or doing whatever. 
for example. And um, uh, so the we get a little insight into the films that he talks about in that book. <laughs> and I think Joshua Tree is one of them. Mm. You know what I mean? Like he's sort of has a, he's got a very real career. Like he wrote Above the Law, which we've talked about. Um, that Stephen Skull film. Um, he wrote another film called Free Jack, which I used to watch uh, as a kid with Emilio Estevez. Uh, and he eventually went on to do Bag of Vance. But uh, so what we, I think, what I think you get the good stuff is is Pressfield all all the way. It's muscular action film. It's got a, it's got Western roots. It's unapologetic. It's hard edged. It's reverent of the classics of Hollywood. We've got a reference to High Sierra, which is a similar sort of plot to this story of a fugitive on the run. Uh, you know, this it's it's the type of masculine fare that we used to take for granted. That's very very few and far between now. And uh, so. I think that Pressfield's work is really good here, and I think it's let down immediately by by the the director Vic Armstrong, a stuntman. Did it did it get a rewrite though? I think the script was tinkered with quite a bit. Well, I don't know. Do you have info on that? I mean, it's no, seen... I don't. Well, all I've read is that it was originally the script was a film noir, so it was written a bit bit more more talking straight or something less shooting. Yeah. It does come across as, well, those elements are all there. It's got Western elements, film noir elements and whatnot. Um, but the director is, so Vic Armstrong is like a, a legendary stunt guy and he's only directed a couple of films and this is his sort of main feature. He's, maybe it's his debut. So this guy was like the stunt mit- double for fucking Harrison Ford, Roger Moore. He's been on every amazing movie you've ever known, all right? But ultimately he's a stunt guy, mm. you know, and maybe that's the shitty stuff. <laughs> Well, actually, I mean, to me, that that makes a lot of uh, it made a lot of sense after I looked him up because um, I watched the movie first, then I looked him up, and it went stunt guy. And it's like, oh yeah, because from the positives, what I noted is that um, the driving in this movie is excellent. <laughs> is <it laughs> driving really good? <laughs> even even at the beginning, where where he he um, you know he steals her little shitty um, full like SUV thing. Yes, the driving in it is fucking awesome, and that's even before they get into the Ferrari and the Lamborghini. And then there was all these other touches like running out of bullets, reloading a gun, picking up other guns from like a massive shootout, and yes. then using them because you're out of bullets. Mm. To me, that's all sort of these details that. They might do now, but especially for for that time in a cheap movie, probably only a stunt um, stunt director would have given a flying fuck about. Well, do you think that like it's a it's clearly we're talking about the brain space here, and clearly his brain space is taken up by how to make the car chase look wicked, which is fair enough, or how to oh, make one hundred percent. Because the rest of the storytelling is is god awful and it doesn't work. Like he'll have like the worst stuff that he does is two people talking. It's like it's like the reader and her boyfriend cop. Yeah. Terrible, just terrible, mm. terrible, and casting terrible as well. Mm. You know, like the, yeah. the, the, that's failure, failure. That's the opposite of Woody Allen. It, even even that the the opening sequence of you know when when Dolph's in the truck with his mate and they get pulled over by a bike cop and then there's a shootout. They had good chemistry, eh? No, <laughs> even, even the, the, the scene, like the way it's cut is absolute nonsense. Like the second car appears out of nowhere. Yes. He gets out of the side but hasn't seen George Siegel and his offsider, and it makes zero sense. Yes. And then you kind of get that they, um, you know, they kind of keep flashing back to that scene and adding mm. more info. And it was, you know, they attempted to leave the audience in suspense so we wouldn't know what actually happened. It would be revealed to the audience later in the movie, just as is revealed to some of the other characters. Yeah. 
but it was done so appallingly that it 100% didn't work. But if I drew you a mud map of that scene, like <laughs> if I'm explaining <laughs> to you, I go, okay, all right, so there's Eddie, right? He gets out of the truck, goes to the back of the truck, the cop, the road, and you go, okay, wait, the road cop? Yeah, yeah, the road cop. Anyway, the motor cop pulls him over. Eddie's talking to him and then, like, he sees Eddie's gun and he sort of muscles him. And then then cut to Santa, he sees Eddie get shot. And then I'm like, well, uh, okay, wait, what? Oh, uh, yeah. So, anyway, as it turns out, George Siegel and Rudy have appeared there, like transported out there. Out of nowhere, in the middle of the desert with nothing to hide behind. <laughs> yes, that's right. In a fucking sedan. Like, I'm not sure if Santa even saw them. Did he see them? Did he well, know I- they were there? You, you see, you see it in a later flashback. I think that that he saw them pull up. Yeah, in in a later one, but not in the beginning. So it's not confusing as fuck. Okay, so then you know, well, he didn't see them. You know who saw them? A, a bus full of tourists yeah, coming. The bus full of tourists comes yes. out of nowhere as well. <laughs> I forgot about that. Shitty. <laughs> what is that bus? What is a bus full of tourists doing in the middle of fucking nowhere? <laughs> Where are they going to and from? Everyone appears out of nowhere. And and the only reason it's so shitty is because it's such a pivotal scene. Like, yeah. it's so important. Like, it sets up Santee's entire arc. Mm. And it's too. It's just too much. Like, I think you, they needed to reduce, reduce, reduce. You'd say, do we need the, the motor cop? <laughs> you know? Mm. Do we need the, the tour bus of people? You know? So that was, yeah, you're right, terrible. So Vic Armstrong's not quite up to it, but I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that the car chases were legit. They felt, to me, mm. like they had a bit of oomph, you know? Well, I'd actually seen this movie. I did get it out on video back in the day. Amazing. And, and I think there were, I mean, I think I'd seen Unisol by that point, so I was aware of Dolph. And the other thing would have been the Ferrari F40 and the Lamborghini Countach on the front cover. Isn't this... That's about all I remember from that movie from but, when I was younger. But that to me seems like th- th- it, this movie does seem in parts like very childlike. Like that pairing of cars is even even in a, a you know um, an ignorant car person like me would be like delighted by that that pairing. Well, I mean, they were the two cars that they're the ones that were on everyone's wall. Yes. You were either an F40 guy or a Countach guy. They, they were the cars. Or maybe the Ferrari Testarossa as well, but it was like, yeah. Yeah, but it's also like, uh, you know, the, the, the ultimate, like, let's find out which one's better. You yeah, know, like is the, the Ferrari Flash faster? And Superman. Or Lamborghini. Yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's why I got it out, because I wanted to know which one would be faster. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, well, that's, yeah. So I thought that, that was strong. It was strong stuff, but uh, he's let he's let everything everything else down. I think a better director, uh, like for example, to draw on our other other shows that we've done, um, Andrew Davis, so director of Under Siege and um, I think about the law as well. Uh, oh, Pressfield should have got Andrew Davis. Like I actually was prepping for Under Siege that year, I think, but or, or just done it. So he he would have come in, and I guarantee you, I know what I know this man's work very well. He would have come in and added verisimilitude. So he would have he would have populated it with like some real cops and done a lot more research. He would have found an overall theme as well that that probably moved him a lot more than what was there. Um, and then he would have uh, cast some some better actors around Dolph. Like he needs you need like a proper chick opposite him, like someone to lift him, and you need everyone else to be really good. 
so they they can really lift him. And um, he would have been shot really well. And but this is just totally let down. I have a question as well. Just before we leave this director video stuff behind, why was this movie shot in two point three five to one in widescreen ratio when it was when it was immediately put onto videotape and and slashed, you know, crunched? Like why? The, no one would have seen this movie in widescreen when it came out. A couple of people overseas theatrically and then boom, it's on video. So you've shot it in this widescreen. At least I think it was in 2.35. And um, such a waste. What, for some laser disc aficionados or something? <laughs> well, they, they they probably didn't know it was going to go straight to, to video, right? But, well, you know that from the pre-sales. You know, they, you know as soon as you're financing where it's going. Like, at least I'm pretty sure. Anyway. That was just a little thing. That maybe they were hoping until they saw the final product. <laughs> that, well, it did go theatrically overseas, and it did good in places like Hungary and stuff. Yeah, it killed it in Hungary. Well, because that explains why some of our fans on online are so, like the, you know in Albania and that are so obsessed with like Van Damme. Always, you know, they love martial. They still love it. Like some of us have moved on a little bit, a little bit. Whereas I feel Europe is keeping the dream alive. You know, they mm. they loving it and loving it. To this day. They love masculine men and they love action stars. Yes. Whereas we like um, Todd Holland, that new Spider-Man, sort of like a little soy boy, you know? <laughs> That's all we like. Did, did like, you say Todd? I think it's Tom. <laughs> it should be Todd. <laughs> don't, don't you think that that's correct somehow? Yeah. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, if I've always wanted to get it wrong, and I got it wrong because <laughs> I hate those movies. But, but also, who cares what his actual name is? Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> so, you know, this movie. Uh, don't you think that this movie was offensive on every level, like in out of context? So, not in 1993. Now, in 2021. Well, I mean, there's so many things. I don't even know where to start. But <laughs> just digging. Just <laughs> digging. Like a. a brilliant moment is that once so Dolph has been gut shot very early in the movie then kidnaps this woman who he doesn't realize is a cop and is driving off with her and, and is making a getaway while bleeding profusely from his gut which he doesn't get looked at until way afterwards and he still can't help looking at them titties yeah well that was he knew the score okay as did everyone else as did mm. the DOP who was set up that shot well, okay. I mean, th th there was there was constant like back and forth, and, and then like she catches him looking, and he does like a sleazy grin at her. But then, well, I mean, th this part might be okay today. Then, then she she can't help looking at him either. So, I mean, what, what does that make it worse? Does that make it worse that You're she's saying, up for it? I don't saying know. that women want a strong man to to like you know, no. What you don't realize, it look if it, if 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 yeah, the male sexual response is involved, then it's wrong. Okay. It's wrong think. <laughs> All right? It's not on. She needs to look at him and, and say, do you want a, a pegging? And he says, oh, yes, please. Okay? <laughs> that's, that's what's hot. Well, that, yeah. that sex scene where they're smearing aloe vera all over each other, like, <laughs> I, I, I ain't never seen that in a movie before. <laughs> my my note from that scene is what's with the aloe vera? Were, were, were they <laughs> sunburned or something? Or I actually think on some weird level, maybe that's because I've, you know, maybe we've got a, a, a caveman mind, but that was one time where I was like, oh, I think chicks might be into this scene, mm. you know, because it's sort of like, you know, massages and aloe vera and all that stuff. <laughs> Aromatherapy. It was a rub down, really. 
Mm. Like it wasn't, um, you know, to use vulgar language, cover your ears, but he wasn't dogging her, (laughs) (laughs) you know, which would have been appalling. She she was more into it than him because he he started like hearing oncoming danger and she kept saying, oh, it's nothing, it's nothing. Mm. Yeah. That was what the message was. She was gagging for it. Yeah, you yes. know, like not not even a day after her former boyfriend or fiance, I don't know what they were, but she, she like sees him get shot like an hour or something before. You know, he gets fucking killed. She's moved on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Look. So that so there was the aloe vera sexy times, but what did you think of Mrs. Severance? So George George Siegel's wife. Um, you know. The, the idea that Santee and her were porking. <laughs> that, that was like, dirty. That was that? dirty. <laughs> Yuri, come on. What do you think of that? I mean, they're all up for it, all these women, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, what well, we're that's the message. They're all up for it. <laughs> that's the message. I'm, glad, I'm just checking that we're on the same page. But, yeah, you know, I, I did quite like that she was a, a touch older as well. Like, I thought mm. that was that was nice, you know. Um, she's quite famous too. I think she's in the Mamas and the Puppets, I think, um, uh, the band. So, um, you know, but I thought she, and because she was having a ball as well. Like, you know, she was a filthy liar as well. Like, she called up George Siegel and she's like, oh, she's like, oh, Severance, you know, it's, she goes, he touched me, he touched me, you know, like, <laughs> Lying. I reckon she should have been in it more. She yeah. was good. She was good. She was dastardly infantile. D- didn't didn't he kind of slap her around a little bit and she like fucking loved it as yes. well? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's the stuff that um made it weird and wonderful. And like he's a bad guy, he's doing bad stuff. Like now, because every film, every TV show and film has to be aspirational and you know, a fantasy, a Hillary Clinton campaign ad. Uh you can't have bad guys just do dastardly things like like they're a bad couple they're not in the film noir world they're no good you know and the fact that they're in this sick relationship is perfect like he slaps her fully in public she like licks her lip and then you know gives him some good advice as well on the way Mm. on the way out so great delicious you know grotesque (laughs) so yeah well george siegel i thought he was a delightful piece of shit okay (laughs) well he's got he's got like Two of my favourite moments in the movie. Oh yes, give it so to one, me. I, one of the I, lines. Was, I know you. I know you're going to say the best line. <laughs> I know you're going to say it. Come on. Oh, uh, I always liked him, but I'm going to kill him. Yes, good line. Yep. And then also, um, talking to dispatch. Yes. Um, over the two way and calling the woman on the other end a cunt. Yeah. He goes. She goes. We can't block the traffic in every. Listen to me, you cunt. And I was just. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching the the director's commentary for American Beauty, which came out in '99. Yes, and and there was a scene in that where um, one of the girls goes "can't," and apparently, like that was a line where people would just walk out of the audience. Yes, in 1999, and this is in like the 80s. Well, it's still got a punch. The the the, the, the I reckon in the in the 90s it was it was a scandalous word it really was I mean obviously there's a cultural thing as well like if you're from overseas you're listening uh, Australia doesn't have quite the same relationship with the word that some other places have I mean it's it's almost been a term of endearment here for like you it know is, 40 yeah. years it's mm. yeah it's not as bad here and it's it, the same way in Scotland it's it's not a big deal whereas um you know in America it's I think it's really has kept a lot of its 
It's because of the way it sounds as well. The way they say it is different. You know what I mean? Like we say, ah, you know, whereas they, they go, can't. Like it's just a different sort of thing, you know? So anyway, that is a great line. I had written that down as well. He's He is a s- cigar-chomping, stupid white hat-wearing potty mouth, you know? <laughs> like it really was. He And he, they probably shot his scenes in two days. So mm. anyway. That's that's uh, George Siegel. If you enjoy what we do here on the New Flesh Podcast, there are a number of ways you can contribute to the success of the show. Consider supporting us financially by becoming a Patreon member and donating monthly or yearly. Alternatively, you can donate money through the Buy Me A Coffee platform. If you're strapped for cash at this point in time, there are a number of other ways to support the New Flesh. You can give us a rating or review through Apple Podcasts. These help others to find our show and help spread the word. Or you can tell your friends about us. Don't underestimate the power of a podcast recommendation. And now, back to the show. We'll talk about the good in a second. Now, the bad. Um, cheap. Uh, we've said that. Yeah, bad delivery. Wines. <laughs> um, Dolph Lundgren. Um, is he good? <laughs> no. when, is, when is he good? I, I think he's better in this than he is in Showdown. Right. Tokyo. Right, but, but I mean, I think Ricky, you, you nailed it. It's because he's doing less. He's doing less. He's yeah. kind of shutting his mouth more, mm. which is why he's great as Ivan Drago, yeah. because he barely says two words. I, I think he's a much better villain. You know, he's got he's got that angular Aryan look. Um, he's 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 very big, like he's six five, I think, or close to it. Um, I, I just think he works better as a villain, you know, mm. and that's why, because in this, I know this movie is fucking confusing, but he he is a criminal, you know, so he is kind of a bad guy. And that was one of my questions was like, you know, are they going to arrest him for like stealing all those cars? Like, you know, like, sure, he didn't kill the cop, but um, he's been stealing all these fucking cars, sorry, right? Sorry, Ricky. Are they going to arrest him for killing 40 guys? <laughs> that as well. <laughs> like, why, why are we just going to let that go? Like, I know. That is actually the reason I want to watch the film. That's the scene that knocked my socks off when I was a kid. That was, was good, yeah. I wanted to talk about that. Chop shop yep. scene. What the did you make of scene. it? I, th- I think it's probably the best scene in the mi- in the film. Yes, definitely. And, you know, it's it's outrageous and over the top, but... You know, it's got, and again, maybe because it's directed by a stunt guy, it's like, you know, it's got heaps of good stuff in it. Well, I, at the time, seriously, my favourite director, you know, of the time, uh, you know, in the mid-90s was John Woo. Uh, So I was obsessed with The Killer and Hard Boiled. And I just couldn't believe when I watched this movie that someone had done a scene like from Hard Boiled in this American movie. And... There was no one to talk to about it, really, because it was a very it was a less connected world. But uh, it was just such an uh, uh, an outrageous homage to to Hardboiled. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a scene in Hardboiled which is is almost in the same um, location, but much bigger and a lot more people. And it's uh, you know, Chain Fat comes from the ceiling and and does what he does. But actually, I think that might have come out the same year, so maybe it's probably the killer that he's that he's that he's ripping off. But anyway, it's a great scene. Rolling on on trolleys and shooting people, big blood packs going off. Um, Dual wielding two two pistols, two handguns. Yes, and as you say, like 
the 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 running out of bullets, which is something John Woo doesn't care about. Uh, uh, Vic Armstrong was like, obviously, like, oh no, I can't abide by that. So he had him pick up different guns, but it was almost like hot shots stuff, like the way a gun would appear. And you know when he needed when he needed it, like he'd <laughs> yeah. run out, and then a gun he'd be rolling, and the gun would just be, there and he'd pick one up, and like it seemed like you know they'd they'd be in hot shots, there'd be an array of different things, you know, like some cutlery or <laughs> you know like a rubber chicken or yeah. something, you know. Like, but there there were so many guys in that chop shop though, like there's a lot of weaponry around. Oh, okay, the defense. The defense is 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 that is it's it's possible. It's plausible. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, okay. none of it's plausible, but you know, <laughs> I think it's one of the lesser evils of this movie. Yes. Well, I miss this kind this kind of action though. It's Peck and Par, Sam Peck and Par inspired bullet ballet. It's John Woo style, like graceful slow mo, m- mixing camera speeds. You know, very different to the John Wick style, which is all about speed and and they're trying to make these unbroken takes. I don't care about that. Fuck that shit. I don't care about one take. I don't care about yeah, this sort of the raid stuff going around in a circle. I mean, it's nice, but I just love this John Woo stuff and I think it's beautiful. And Because it, what John Woo and Sam Peckinpah understand about is they understand about editing. See, the, the one-shot stuff is, uh, you know, all this kind of unbroken take stuff they try and do in, in, in these new ones. Um, cinema doesn't care about that. Uh, editing is why cinema is amazing, okay? And, you know, mixing the different camera speeds and uh, creating this sort of different experience where you feel the, the violence in a very different way than just seeing it in, in, in you know, in real time. They don't do slow-mo in John, John Wick, do they? It's mainly just him sort of rolling rolling on, right? Um, so I miss this, this Hong Kong style stuff. And uh, uh, it's the blood packs as well. John Wick doesn't do that. I think that the Faustian bargain they've done is they've said, okay, we'll kill 300 guys, but there'll be like zero blood. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Whereas in this, it's it's all out. It's like big, huge blood packs go exploding. And it's that's the point, you know? I don't know why we can't have that. So, yeah, I love this scene. I think it's great. Mm. Well, I mean, personally, I think it should be a little bit like politics. Like we just need to get a little bit closer to the center. Because I think the cutting went way too far and a brilliant example was one of the later Takens where I think they had like nine cuts for old man Liam Neeson to jump over a fence and they were trying to add um, action by forcing a cut because he was at that point just way too old to be doing what he's doing. And then I think those unending takes have kind of come as a little bit of a overcorrection to that and it's like yeah i think somewhere in the middle is where we should be i think you're right and and you know i will say that you know i love this scene but it does affect the stakes of this film because it's a little out of step with everything else with the level of conflict conflict in the film so you know i've got an adage here that you can you can use this Uh, the amount of henchmen in a film is usually in proportion to the possible emotional payoff so you know like if you want me to really care about like a union between two people or a revenge or something it's usually if there's an enormous amount of henchmen that's going to be a a difficult achievement do you know what i mean it's limited like you know that's why when there's there's a you know we when when it's in that contained space and there's a handful i'm going okay all right i'm going to get a bigger payoff probably the henchman i really liked was that beefcake guy who's like the right hand man of Jimmy Shoeshine. Oh, I was hoping someone would bring that guy okay, up. Okay, this is your wheelhouse, Yuri. Come on, hit, right. me, hit me with this guy. <laughs> so that, this is random that is, that is random. That is Joe Sun. 
the 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 actor who was random task in Austin Powers was it one or two? Uh, he was the guy who one. threw the shoe. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> uh, so now the reason why I kind of knew a little bit about this before was because uh, Joe Son actually had a few MMA fights and uh, pretty pretty kind of lame results. But um, he is his maybe potentially greatest and most horrific achievement was he has been sentenced to 275 years to life in prison because of some horrific shit. So his charges include gang rape, five counts of rape, two felony counts of forcible sodomy, two felony counts of sodomy in concert by force, seven counts of forcible oral copulation, one felony count of sexual penetration by foreign object by force. And I think there's some more shit further down, which I guess we kind of get the point. But um, horrible, horrible human <laughs> That's being. just fucking crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Like, I, I looked him up because I was like, oh, it's a random task. And then I looked him up and there's the mug shots on Wikipedia. Wow. And like, um, when, when did he get convicted? Uh, 2008, it says but here. But you've left out the part where his prison sentence was extended. Because yeah, he, he murdered someone in prison. He murdered someone in prison. His cellmate. Really? So he's he in. So he's in prison, and then he kills a guy, Michael Thomas Graham, or something. And then he was given another twenty-seven years. So well, if he's in there for that long, like he can kill whoever he wants, right? Well, I guess so. He did. He took you up on that. Fucking hell! Ah, oh, I can't remember what comedian it was. Might have been Jim Jeffries talking about um, the amount of women that Cosby raped. Oh, and he said. Now, that number seems a little high, and it is because I've rounded up, but the way I see it is, you know, after you hit about 20, it doesn't make a difference anymore. Yeah, he's a, kid, mm. he's a monster, so, so it's just, it, wow. yeah, just on and on it goes. So I was totally shocked at this, this, this guy um, because, I mean, that's crazy. Like mm. that is, you know, I mean, he's, and he's and just like OJ, he's in like a beloved comedy movie. Yeah, he was in that movie with the guy that says, yeah, baby, a lot. And so now you're just going to have to go, oh, that guy, he, he don't, won't throw a shoe, but he'll do a lot of other stuff that's really bad to you. <laughs> he'll rape you with a shoe. Well, you know, you, you, know, you put it together. So <laughs> anyway. But he was surprisingly good. Um, he's, you know, in real life, he's probably not a good fighter, but he was surprisingly good and agile. For, Baby-faced. Yeah, for what I thought he was going to be, you know. Well, yes. I mean, you know, he, 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 he's not a, a good fighter at the – top end professional level, um, but compared to, you know, any other human being in the world, yeah, he would be. Yeah, I just think on screen yeah, that, yeah. that fight scene was pretty cool. You know? Yeah. Well, uh, should we also then um, segue into Dolph's accomplishments? <laughs> you sure. Mm. What does he actually do? Because he do- he, he's karate, right? Uh, his- yeah, he was the European karate champion uh, for one year. And, um, I mean... I, I, I could potentially have saved this for, um, you know, our Rocky Four discussion, but um, do you guys know the story about him hospitalizing Stallone while shooting Rocky Four? I did hear something about that. He punched him in the chest or something and stopped his yeah. heart. Is that right? Yeah. So um, before they rolled, Sly went up to him and said, hey, look, forget the choreography. Just go out there and try and hit me. I want this to look real. I want this fight to look real. And he did. And he punched him in the chest so hard 
that um, Stallone was, I think, hospitalized for nine days afterwards. Mm, And doctors said that this is usually the trauma that they see on people that have been hit by a bus. Oh, my God. Shit. That's the real deal. It enlarged Mm. his heart. Wow. So um, that's that's, so he's a lethal weapon. mm. Yeah, I I wouldn't fuck fuck around with Dolph. Well, I've got I got some uh, info on Dolph too. Do you realize he has an Australian connection? Yes, his master's degree. Yeah, so he actually studied um, in Sydney, uh, where he received a master's degree in chemical engineering. And uh, during his time in Sydney, he earned a living as a bouncer in a nightclub in the notorious King's Cross area. Which in the 80s would have been proper. It like would have been, yeah. been neutered now, but back it then has, it, was, yeah. it was the real deal. And uh, he was then spotted by uh, Jamaican singer Grace Jones, who uh, offered him a job uh, offered him a job as a bodyguard for her. And then soon after that, they began a relationship. So then he received a Fulbright scholarship to study at MIT in Boston. And he was all set to move there. But Jones convinced him to leave the university and move to New York City to be with her and begin acting where after a short stint as a model and bouncer in Manhattan, uh, he got a small role as the KGB henchman in the James Bond film, A View to a Kill. Old school. Yeah, old school. It's like the way people used to do it. And such an incredibly intelligent guy for such a terrible, terrible actor. <laughs> well, it's, it's proof that, that you, you don't need intelligence to act. And, 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 you know, some, look, there's a million ways to skin a cat, you know, and, and instinctual performers, like natural performers are, are everywhere. You know what I mean? And um, he's just an example of, of like, you know, so cerebral. He speaks several languages as well. Uh, you know, so intelligent, but uh, he, I think he obviously has got a couple of roles where he's on the fence of being okay, <laughs> but yeah. by and large, yeah, he's he's wooden, yeah. he's wooden, and yeah. he's he's not relaxed, and he just doesn't have that thing, you know, just doesn't have that thing that Bruce Willis has. Um, no, like, and I know Bruce Willis has got it, you know, and I'm not telling, I'm not saying that because he was in Die Hard and he's wicked in Die Hard. I'm saying that because I've seen some new shit he's done. I saw him in the remake of Death Wish now um, where he basically phoned it in, like basically just Zoom called that movie in and he was still wicked. Like he was still great. Like his his phoning it in was a better phone call than Dolph could ever do, mm. you know, and that's the facts. That's the facts. Like like you've just got it or you don't. And you can get a little mm. bit better. Keanu's got a little bit better. But, you know, through a lot and a lot of dramatic coaching, a lot of hard work, but he doesn't have it. Well, I, I remember this from the commentary from fucking uh, Lucky Number Slevin for, you know, the three people who saw that movie. Um, the, the direct, because he plays a hitman in that movie, and the director talking about there's something about this look that Bruce Willis can do where he looks like he's murdered a bunch of people. Mm. And you go, yeah. He can just put on this look and you just go, oh, my God. The jackal. Yeah. Yes. Not Hudson Hawk. No, which, we, you know, we like, don't don't throw that movie in the dirt. You like no, 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 I'm, 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 I do like Hudson Hawk, but, it's, you know, the, the guy who, who did that and, and what was the, um, what was the, the, the comedy TV sitcom? That Moonlighting. Yeah. Mm. 
So like the people like because he, he, he started out his career, people thought he was the A comic goof. relief guy. Yeah, and then he can also transform to looking like. He has murdered and can murder everyone you know just by looking a certain way. He's got it. He's got it. Dolph does not have it. So uh, I've got, I found this um, funny review from Letterboxd. This guy called Todd Gaines has written, I'll give him a, a shout out there. Three stars, he says. This is, this is all, is there any punctuation here? I don't know. It says, Dolph Lundgren explodes on the screen as Santee, a wrongfully convicted felon on the run in, in high pursuit of the dirty cops who framed him for murder. Police harassment, Dolph's trucker hat, poor Eddie, windmills, fugitive moment, diner breakup, grand theft truck, Matt Bataglia, uh, Philo Bedo's buddy not named Clyde, Barking Henry, high heels, grand theft minivan, tight ass jeans, traffic jam, exploding watermelons. This sounds like Allen Ginsberg or something. <laughs> poem. Grand theft police car, panty washing, crystal breeze takes a shower. Christian Alfonso's wet hair, bad dreams, pussy seat. <laughs> that was a good line. <laughs> yeah, you remember that line? That was. <laughs> the guy who goes, hey. So, so Rita tries to t- t- take the uh, motorcycle of this guy, uh, or like, and he goes, hey. He, he taps the seat and he says, we call this the pussy seat. You want to know why? And she kicks him off and says, no, why? Home invasion, the way Dolph holds a shotgun. <laughs> That's true. He does hold it weird. Harry, <laughs> don't you think he holds it weird? Yeah, no. Was, well, uh, it, it was that and the and the running, um, which uh, Sig- uh, like I'm, you know, I kind of took shots at Seagal for running funny as well. Maybe there's just something about big guys that aren't Usain Bolt that maybe it's weird to see them run. Yes, ungainly. Uh, yeah, but no, he, he doesn't have that sort of looking with wicked with a gun type coordination this guy's what single like sentence uh like non sequiturs are brilliant like look at this it just says george siegel's cigar full stop jimmy shoeshine full stop (laughs) (laughs) high-tech surveillance and i think that is probably to do with the how they come up with the end or whatever bootleg hard-boiled moment christian's midriff dino might bitch slap lamborghini Christian's lips, erotic touching, barricade, high-speed chase, showdown at the tree, cliffhanger, going all Drago on a motherfucker, kissy, kissy. <laughs> Some might know this film as Army of One. I guess they didn't want you to think Dolph joined you too. <laughs> huge, huge ass explosions, crazy as fuck action sequences, cool as fuck car chases featuring Lamborghinis and Ferraris. Uh, what does it say here? He shoots motherfuckers like a champ and charms ladies like a boss. Christian is nice to look at. In that early '90s hot kind of way, her body double, Crystal Breeze, has a great ass. <laughs> Christian is not a great actress, but she is what she is—a pretty soap star, smart enough to stay in soaps and away from films. Uh, well, there you go. So, what a great review! I think this guy's <laughs> really summed it up quite well. Does, does what does he have a he have a blog or something? A website? Well, there's a website called Letterboxd, uh, and it's yeah, a lot of film nerds go on there and check right. it out. So, th- I think I've seen these types of one sentence or one word filled reviews there. They're sort of like a bit of a shotgun. Um, did you want to mention anything about the music, Joel Goldsmith's score or not really? So b- before we go get, get onto that, I, I was going to, like he, he did bring up something I was going to, is, is okay. the, the uh, stunt boobs. Oh, uh, yeah. yes. I wouldn't have thought that for this type of movie with that type of actress, you would have needed stunt boobs, but um, you did. Hollywood's yeah. a, a strange place. Mm. Although um, 
no stunt house for Dolph. And and it, that, that, that was kind of like a weird thing around this time, wasn't it? That you just see all these guys' asses. But his ass was in um, Showdown. Oh, his- that was in Showdown, yeah. right. Don't, yeah, yeah. don't put his ass in this movie. <laughs> Although Sh- Showdown also had stunt boobs. Well, we're going to get to that, all right? But, um, Everything in its yeah, place. It, it was this weird thing about these, well, because obviously we saw um, Van Damme's ass uh, last time, but... Uh, yeah, well, the, I, you feel I like he, that. You feel like that was in his contract, though. Like he was like he, he put it in. They're like, no, yeah. no, we don't need it. And he's like, no, no, no. Yeah, uh, you make sure I'm you put my beautiful buns in the stud. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> it reminded me of um, Loaded Weapon, where it must have been such a thing because in that they make a point of he, he gets up out of bed, and she goes, "Where are you going?" He's, "Oh no, I'm just taking one of those unmotivated um, butt in the moonbeam shot." Well, it was everywhere <laughs> back then. No, it was huge because it, it, well, obviously it's an lethal weapon. But but the NYPD Blue was filled with those butt shots. That was that was like the the main thing in NYPD Blue, is that that and like and the joke shot they did later was even um, Dennis Franz did it. But like yeah, it was something about the early nineties. Like the, there was a real excitement around. Being able to put buns on on the screen, you well, know, they, they were kind of dirty. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you mean he's not a very good wipe? No, no, no. Uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, like you know, filthy, like sexy, like because oh, you know, even, okay. even in even in Friends, in in the, I mean, the nineties were kind of sex obsessed. Like even in Friends, the the, the safest, most kind of family friendly show, they would be like icing Jennifer Aniston's nipples like every two seconds. Oh, that's great. That's something out of show, girls. Love it. Yeah. Love yeah. It. Anyway, but I, I always I always thought it was strange to have stunt boobs because pe- people are going to think they're your boobs anyway, you know, unless you've got like, you know, she looks like an attractive woman, so she's got a good body. Like, Yes, but but look, the, 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 the thinking is, um, you know, then like it'll be credited probably, maybe, uh, or maybe not, but... It, it is a big deal getting your tits out, like like you know, uh, and I, you know, I'm I obviously like it when they're out, and uh, <laughs> I'm just saying that like I understand because there was that thing with Game of Thrones, right? So yeah. Cersei, she did her big shame walk and did mm. she got stunt titties in, um, and I get it, like I understand. I, I mean, I don't, uh, I think for art's sake, if 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 it was if if it was if you know it was just an omniscient, you know universe and and you were god you'd say well i want the best art i don't care about you but she is a person and she didn't want to have such you know get her titties out and i guess that that's the thinking um Uh, and i guess you can always tell your friends and family well that's not me that's right you know but there's been cases where it's been done you know where people have put in shots that weren't um uh, authorized, like you know, necessarily or talked about, they have shown too much, or, or you know, cutaways to, but and that's caused problems as well. So it, it's a mess. The whole thing's a mess. Yeah. Well, there's that film. There's that uh, Australian film Razorback, where there's a, a scene where a, a, a chick takes a shower outdoors and oh, spectacular sort of, bosom. Yes, it's like a full body nude, like shot. And they got a stunt chicken for that, but the director really wanted the actress to do it. So I think he got someone, producer or someone, to, to, to go over and tell her the lie that, oh, now listen, we've got you, we've got you a, a nude stunt person here, but just got to let you know she's got a fair amount of cellulite on her ass. 
Great. then she's like, fuck that shit. I'll do it myself. Back in the day, that's how you did it. See, now I think there'd be a Royal Commission and <laughs> every, yeah. that entire industry would be shut down. <laughs> but back then you could just say, you know, let me apply a little bit of blackmail here, emotional blackmail, and then get what I want. So, no, it is a, it is a, it's a big deal uh, and it'll be a much bigger deal in uh, Showdown in the next one. I think we'll talk about it again. Mm. Shall we move on then? Yeah, uh, yes. Uh, oh, wait, music. You didn't want to say anything oh, about Oh, the, the music, score? yeah. So uh, the music's really good and it's written by um, Jerry Goldsmith's son, believe it or not. Oh, wow. So, and he, he died uh, in his 50s. So oh, wow. he, he didn't get to do that much stuff. Um, I just think it's it's just it's got all the hallmarks of a Jerry Goldsmith score. Um, he, you know, it's just beautifully has done sort of a Western score, but then he's really good at doing the the action stuff too. And and the more more subdued moments have you know harmonica and sax crimes. Yeah, there are some sax crimes as well, which I which I appreciate. Um, but yeah, it's just a really solid score, and apparently it's never been released. Uh, as a soundtrack, which is a shame because it gets, um, yeah, people people um, view it quite fondly. So hopefully one day, I mean, maybe there's a bootleg out there somewhere, but mm, YouTube probably. Yeah, maybe. So I'm gonna have to track it down. Track it down. It's pretty good. Couple of just last notes before we move on. Uh, two quick things. Um, with that big shootout, fuck you for wrecking all those cars. That that hurt me. That hurt you, me so bad. So the, you are Jimmy Shushan. He hated that too. Yeah, I, I I felt I felt for him in that moment. We were yeah <laughs> we were going through the same emotions, and um, just the fucking pinup girls in the cop station. Oh, uh, they're walking through the police station, and there's just like are they cops nonstop? No, just chicks with like. You know, like bikini girls and like topless girls. Yeah, right. Just plastered all over the cop station. Oh, like on the walls and stuff. All of the walls, yeah. That's great. That's good. Well, it was definitely a man's world back then. It was. Absolutely. It's like, Jesus Christ. Anyway. Great stuff. All. Great stuff. Um, I approve. <laughs> For over 400 years, they've developed their own mysterious traditions. For over 400 years, they've had a strict code of honor and unparalleled standards of respect. For over 400 years, they have terrorized the streets of Japan. Now, they want to control the city of Los Angeles. Determined to leave their mark in blood. Dolph Lundgren and Brandon Lee are ready for a showdown in Little Tokyo. They're two LA cops who are hungry for a little takeout. Dolph Lundgren, Brandon Lee. Showdown in Little Tokyo. All right, showdown in Little Tokyo. Los Angeles cop Chris Kenner, Dolph Lundgren, uh, is an American who was raised in Japan. So he's given a new partner, Johnny Murata, played by Brandon Lee, uh, an American of partial Japanese descent. Uh, 
Uh, Kenna doesn't appreciate American culture much, while uh, Johnny knows little about his Japanese heritage. One thing they both enjoy, though, are martial arts, in which they are both experts. Uh, the two are assigned to LA's uh, Little Tokyo, where they break up some criminal activity in a Japanese restaurant, and an arrest is made. While Kenna and Johnny are questioning the suspect, uh, Kenna noticed that uh, he has tattoos of the Iron Claw Yakuza clan. This reminds him of when he was nine years old and he witnessed his parents being killed by a member of the Yakuza. Before Kenna and Johnny can uh, interrogate the suspect further, he kills himself in the interrogation room by breaking his own neck. The leader of the Iron Claw clan, uh, Yoshida, kills the owner of uh, a popular downtown nightclub called the Bonsai Club by crushing the owner. Uh, Tanaka in a car compactor. To celebrate gaining ownership of the Bonsai Club, Yoshida throws a party at his house with all the cl club staff. One of the girls at the party, named Angel, is revealed to have warned Tanaka about Yoshida behind his back. This infuriates him, who then questions Angel about her lo loyalty. She attempts to appease Yoshida by offering her body to him, but Yoshida instead drugs Angel and strips off her clothes and fondles her from behind before beheading her. The coroner reveals that drugs were in Angel's system, and this prompts Kenna and Johnny to go to the Bonsai Club in search of information. There they meet lounge singer Minako uh, Okia, played by Tia Carrera, uh, who was a friend, a good friend of Angel's. Before they can uh, get any useful information out of her, they are ambushed and taken to see the nightclub's owner, and Kenna recognizes Yoshida as the man who killed his parents. Yoshida is now a drug manufacturer using a local brewery as his distrib distribution center. He uses smaller gangs such as the Hells Angels and the Crips to peddle drugs for him in return for a percentage of the profit. Uh, Kenna pulls his gun on Yoshida and almost kills him to avenge the death of his parents, but Johnny manages to defuse the situation and they both leave the nightclub. That night, Yoshida rapes and kidnaps Minako and holds her hostage in his home and vows to kill Kenna. Kenna and Johnny set out for Yoshida's heavily guarded home where they rescue Minako. His pride wounded, Yoshida sends his men out to get Minako back. He has uh, Kenna and Johnny captured, stripped topless and tortured, but uh, Kenna and Johnny uh, manage to escape. They then prepare an assault on Yoshida's brewery, uh, where they rescue Minako. They then prepare an assault on Yoshida's brewery, where they rescue Minako once again. And Kenna fights Yoshida in a duel, in which uh, Kenna uses a sword to impale Yoshida on a giant spinning firework called a Catherine Wheel, which burns Yoshida while spinning at high speed and <laughs> bursting into flames. <laughs> so. I think this film should be retitled Massacre in Little Tokyo or perhaps uh, JLM, Japanese Lives Matter. No, I thought Cultural Appropriation, the movie. <laughs> or that. <laughs> That's another acceptable title because the, the Dolphin Lee, they don't seem to follow any police procedure at all and they end up killing like over 50 people. Right. And that scene where where Brandon Lee sets that guy on fire who's fallen into the massive pot of liquid in the brewery, that's insane. And I think he even says, you have the right to be dead. Is that what he says? <laughs> that is what he says. <laughs> Yuri, come on, you wrote down that line, surely. <laughs> I had forgotten all about that. <laughs> I put it under the heading, terrible dialogue. <laughs> yeah. I may have tuned out quite a lot at certain points. It was tough, though. It's a tough watch, yeah? 
<laughs> that were both tough watches. <laughs> have you, it, it, any, you guys seen this movie before? Yes, I've seen it a couple of times as a kid. Okay. Um, once again, I thought I'd seen this movie, and the memory from this movie that I had <laughs> was clearly from another movie. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or I made it up. I, I think my best guess is it may have been, I may have been confusing Brandon Lee with, um, fuck, what's his name? Mark Dacascos. Mark Dacascos. Yeah. Yeah. Where I, I remember a, a, a scene from like a live drawing uh, art class with like a naked woman. And it was like, oh, I'm, I'm remembering this scene. Go on. And then he he drew her with like a dragon behind her, and then the teacher said, "You're only supposed to draw what you see. This is what I see." Um, yes. I well, this movie. I think it's acceptable because Mike Dacascos and Donna Dragon Wilson both have done shitty movies. So I feel like if it was either of those people, you got mixed up in this in this sort of mix, that would have been okay too. So. You know, that's fine. It's perfectly fine and acceptable. Uh, this is a theatrical film, uh, unlike uh, Joshua Tree. So big, relatively bigger budget, like, well, you know, at least uh, uh, $8 million. Made 2.3, so not a good showing at the box office, but sounds like it's a bit of a cult hit uh, after the fact. So you can immediately tell that this is a theatrical film. Lenses, you know, we're on those long lenses, with, you know, a bit more setup time, night shoots, locations extras i did you did you guys feel that this was a little bit more firepower behind this mm, yeah. absolutely i mean it doesn't help because it's no good uh and uh it's but it's a simple setup you know what if a japanese guy who grew up in the u.s and a u.s guy who grew up in japan were teamed up to <laughs> yeah. fight the yakuza <laughs> yeah. See, this is what we used to celebrate okay ham-fisted but well-meaning cultural exchange now we want everyone to stay in their lane. Like we'd we'd prefer that you that you know, because that's the thing. Like this movie is now just as bad as like it's essentially blackface. Do you know what mm. I mean? Like like uh oh, to two Americans, not not to the Japanese. Japanese, by the way, and I know this for a fact, they do not give a shit about they would love, they would love this movie. Mm. I'm gonna give it to my friend my friend Pete, and he's gonna watch it. He's gonna listen to this episode too. He's gonna watch it and he's gonna love it. Okay, he's gonna love every second of it. And he's gonna be like, This is great. He'll be like, I love how he dressed up at the end. You'll love it all, okay? So it's only America that's hot under the collar. Well, what, what they'd say about Lee's character now is they'd say he was a self-hating Japanese person because, you know, so. he, he says stuff like, you know, I was raised in the valley, I know about malls, I don't eat raw fish, uh, did you ever do that flower arranging stuff, uh, what's a futon? No, but now they would they, he wouldn't even be in the movie because they'd say he's not Japanese. That's right, yeah. Like and again, the Japanese wouldn't care. But um, uh, you know, Hollywood executives who live, you know, in fucking California, would care. They'd go, "Oh yes." Like three people on Twitter said he's not the proper type, so <laughs> we're gonna do, we're gonna change it all, change it all. What do we think of Dolph in full Japanese garb for the final fight? I mean. What the hell? <laughs> I think I just said, I just said, what the fuck is Dolph's outfit? <laughs> I mean, it's a Halloween costume. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, his whole, his whole costume was a Halloween costume before he got into the Japanese stuff. Like that yes. big leather jacket and the baggy pants. Yes. You know, I don't think, I don't think guys that are that ripped should wear baggy stuff. You know, it's like. They need to really, you know, show it off. 
Well, they do because they just look really strange. Like, like early Arnie film. Like, there's a really early, early Arnie film. I don't know if you've ever seen Hercules in New York. It's a rubbish film, but he wears these turtleneck like sweaters, and it just makes him look square. You know, it makes him look like it, like you know, just just a really strange shape. But then when he takes his uh, takes his, you know, all his clothes off and shows his muscles. Like then he kind of looks okay, you know. Van Damme understood this, okay. Mm. And that's why in in a lot of movies he's wearing essentially a leotard. Mm. He wears like a leotard, like those 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 really low slung singlets. Yeah. In in fucking kickboxer and stuff, you know. And you just go, yeah, he gets it. He mm. gets it. So. The outfit's ridiculous. Um, you know, it's um, it's beyond comical. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what the what the reference is, like you know, because I don't know enough about the particular cultural like history that he's drawing upon with that outfit. Um, yeah, and the headband. Yeah, the headband. Uh, you know, it, it could have been. I suppose you know, it's it's bold choice. It's very bold. Mm. Um, and it sort of makes it a bit silly. I was a bit surprised that <laughs> Dolph wouldn't have said something, being that he was a proper karate practitioner. Yeah. Wouldn't he have looked at that and go, um, guys, this is silly? Yeah, I don't know. Remember, it was a very different time. Like, the, the, it's just there was, there was a lot of martial arts movies and a lot of, you know, of this sort of stuff going on, you know. Like, and it wasn't, I mean, this is, this is a ludicrous example of it, but... They might have. He might have just been like, "Oh, isn't this great? Isn't this great? Like people love it." I'm bringing because you know, to us, to a certain degree, to a small degree, there were there was a little bit of cultural information being given to you in the movie. Not a lot, but there was some of it. Like you know, uh, and I think that maybe they they just thought then they're not. You know, we've got the internet. They didn't. We know more than they mm. did. So we always forget that as well. Like they were living. They were on coke. They were in. The California, um, they didn't have everyone in the world literally in their pocket, like screaming at them about what a bigot they were all the time. So it's just a completely we just can't we just cannot imagine this world where because that's why we've said this before. That's why these movies from the eighties, nineties, and whatever are so strange is because it's a very particular culture. People are cut off, like you know, like only rich people can be. That's why rich characters in these movies they're in a limo and they've got stock, ticker tape, stock stuff. They've got the TV on the thing and they've got like the satellite phone. Only the uber rich people were connected to anyone. Everyone else was just like walking around saying, "Oh, I got an idea. I read this one book and I'm gonna base all my information on that." Or like you know, like it was just such a different world. Mm. So that's how they get away with it. Um, no one's to challenge them. Do you think do you think Dolph's character needs that childhood backstory to make the film work? Because well, I think I think it's a bit naff, you know. It's just a bit serious as well. Like it, it doesn't. It's it. The, the, we've got a tonal problem again. Like you know, it's it's comedic and Tango and Cash like in parts, and then it's you know, and then it's very serious in parts, and 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 it is a trope. But this movie was loaded with tropes. A lot of the worst tropes of our of our formative years are in this movie. Like, yeah, no consequences for their terrible actions. Uh, it's like um, Austin Powers, like gathering of the bad guys in the brewery. 
Mm. Do you know what I mean? There's the bikers, the essays, the gangbangers, yeah, and the yakuza all together. Like that's that's you know comedic, rolling on the ground, <laughs> shooting like you know, <laughs> yeah. like bad repetitions as well. Like tw- you know that tw- almost uh, yeah, one after the other, Dolph Lundgren reaches for a gun and almost shoots Tia Carrere mm. at the same bit. Like like she um. You know, she walks in on him and he picks up the gun and points it. This is what one scene and then the next scene he does it. And I'm like, fucking hell. You couldn't have edited that out? <laughs> yeah. We needed both? Yeah. You know, there's yeah. two ritual suicide bits. One guy does yeah. it at the beginning. There's a second one. Seppuku is not something that just not like the average Japanese person, like, you know, knows how to do. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know what I mean? So, in the torture scene at the end, that lethal weapon. Actually, the reason, because there's a lot of lethal weapon stuff in this movie. And that was, this is six years later. It's a long time, you know? Mm. So, yeah. It's just a lot of bad tropes, mm. you know? Yeah. And the, and that uh, buddy cop dialogue as well. It's not quite as bad as Tango and Cash, but it's still pretty bad, you know? Yeah. It's fucking bad. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, just moving into one of my favorite lines, because we're talking about buddy cop dialogue. Um, in case we get killed, you have the biggest dick I've ever seen. <laughs> yes. Dreadful. What did you guys think of that line? <laughs> I thought it was dreadful. I thought oh. <laughs> he says I've got you've got the biggest dick I've ever seen on a man. Is that what he says? Oh, maybe. Maybe. Cuz I read yeah. cuz I read originally it was you've got the biggest dick I've seen on a white man. And for some reason they cut white out. They had a problem with that. They thought I, I I don't know why they thought it was less offensive. If they took <laughs> no, but it's a, it's just a bad line. It doesn't work. Like it's I, I don't have a problem with seeing other people's dicks or whatever. Not really, <laughs> but it's just like it just doesn't work. It's inappropriate. It's not funny. It's not <laughs> interesting. It's just dumb and horrible. And and it's it's out of place. Like it's it's inappropriate because for the tone of the scene as well. Like, yeah, that's know. right. Yeah. No, but he says a lot of shitty stuff in that scene. He he says, "Oh, this is like a video game. You just killed the first wave." And I'm like, yeah. "Oh my god, shut up." But that's also the second time he made reference to it because um before before that actual line, he goes, "Oh, where's uh, I can't remember her name, Tia Carrera's character." And um he goes, "Oh, she's a little scared." And it's like and he says something along the lines of, "Oh yeah, I saw you guys out in the hot tub. Yeah, I bet she was scared." Oh, God. So he alluded to the size of his big old schlong first, <laughs> and then just before the shooting started, made a point of like explicitly saying it. So like he really wanted him to know he that really he saw his dick. To, that he thought he he saw his dick and he thought it was huge. Okay, uh, it's not good. This whole scene sequence was not good. <laughs> so, um, Tia Carrere has a line after the sex scene. She says, "Oh, oh, this is my favorite line." That time, I heard you coming. <laughs> yes. Gross. Write that down too. <laughs> yep. Well, what the fuck does she even mean? Like, if you think about what she means, it's 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 super gross. It's like it's like what you heard like a squelching like sound, <laughs> yeah. like on my balls moving. Like, what the fuck is wrong? With That's disgusting. Like, focus on you know this moment we're having together. Don't don't listen to my balls. <laughs> is that what you thought, Yuri? Or? I, I assume that I, I guess. Dolph's a loud moaner. Oh, I was thinking about the balls. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean, no? Because no, because I heard you coming. It's like, it's like, well, yeah, like if he's moaning, of course you would hear that. So But he must- wasn't moaning much. That's the weird thing. He was weirdly like 
unemotional and unmoved by the sex. You there know? are a lot of lines in movies where I'm I feel sorry for the actor or actress, and I'm like, that's a line where I'm just like, oh god, you know, like that's one of those lines that that I'm glad things have changed because I'm just like that is a thankless line for to, for a man to write to put in a woman's mouth. You know what I mean? Like it's totally thankless, which isn't to say women can't be dirty and say whatever they want and whatever. This is just not. This is just not something that you know she would say. You know what I mean? Like mm. it, her whole role was very thankless, to be honest with you. Yeah. Because but these buddy movies are love stories between the men anyway. Mm. But you know this was just one of those times where I was just like, oh my god, you know what the fuck is she even saying? It's a dreadful line. So mm. there was endless. Terrible dialogue. Um, here's another one for you. Off-screen shot of a car, like near in the car. What's this place? Must be the Red Dragon Brewery. Remember, the owner of the club is also the owner of the brewery. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Harry, come on. Come on. <laughs> what did that even mean? Well, they're just, they're just letting you know. Like, Because that's some shit that Tia Carrere said or Minako said in the at the party or whatever. Yeah. Or, yeah. or at the club, they said it to them. And then this was just a little remindy remind. It's it's like that that talking about what they're doing. It's it's just the worst stuff. I hate it. I hate that stuff. Like like and and again, this is the sort of stuff that's it's complicated. Like this is in a, when you're in when you're beating out the story, you just need to say, okay, look, I'm concerned that like we've got the brewery and then we've got the drugs. Like, are we? You know, what's the most economical way of selling up this setup? Selling this setup, like the way they do in. They, ne- they don't need to have a line like that in, in Breaking Bad. Like, it's never like, they never need to say, you know, um, uh, the chicken place is, the, is the, the drug place, like in this dumb way. You just know. You see it. You see it visually. You see mm. it. You know, they, set you, they, they, they do it. Whereas this is the worst kind of, you know, plugging holes. When really the crimes of the movie are so big that, that who cares? Like, you know, who cares? The, the audience would just gonna. I don't care. Like, you know, there's stuff in this. There's magical stuff in this movie. Like, just stuff that doesn't make any sense. Well, to me, it seemed like they played the movie to either a test audience or some executive, and they went, "Hang on, I didn't understand the bit. Is the guy who owned the brewery the same guy who owned the nightclub?" <laughs> and then they had to explain it to him, and they said, "Oh, we really need to fix that." And so then they put this line in. The person wrote it down like verbatim, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and they just said, "Okay, put this line in," you know. So that's terrible. Um, there's a couple of things. Okay, so I've I've bagged out the terrible dialogue, but there is some good lines. So Kerry Hiyoki, Hiroyuki uh, Tagawa has a line. Uh, um, so Brandon Lee and Dolph are getting tortured. He's taken Tia Carrera out to the car, and, and he's watching them get tortured on the on his fancy like you know car TV. And he says, how American, the backseat, the movies, a beautiful girl, you know what's missing? Popcorn. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, this is good. This is a good line, you know. Like that was really nice, you know. So there's there's a couple of, but he's probably arguably the best part about the movie. I think he's he's great. He is good. Yeah. That was certainly the best actor. Yes. There was, it was few and far between. Not very good. Um, These, this is a nasty movie. The sword chopping. Yes. So, so cutting off arms and heads, people breaking their own necks, seppuku. Cutting the finger off. Cutting the finger off, uh, putting guys in car crushes, throwing guys into bubbling vats and then blowing it up, 
the mansion shootout, they're murderers, the bathhouse fight, they're murderers, uh, sexual assault, the jarring cut. Like, so again, the, 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 the Yakuza boss, you know, goes in and like sort of lightly sexually aggress, uh, um, a sort of assault some Tikaro by saying like, you know, you know, do you offer any other services or whatever? She's a singer at his club and just smash cut to him. Like, you know, smacking her around at home. Like, like it's, it's almost jarring cut. <laughs> Did you notice this? Like it's sort of a, we, it's like some scenes were missing or was it a different part of the movie? I was like, what the fuck? Mm. To, to me, it felt like they, they'd cut a scene out. Yes. That they needed to get the time down. Like they, like, like, the middle scene is probably they have dinner together and he's like sort of lightly aggressive. You know what I mean? Like, and then it's like, he's like, okay, I've lost my patience with you. You know, that sort of thing. You know, you're missing the end of one scene or the start of another. Yeah. So anyway, there, there was mad shit like that all this, but, but it's a nasty film. And I, and I got that sense when I was younger as well, like this, I could tell that the weight of this movie was heavy. You know, it was, it was, it was nasty. It didn't have that lightness that commando has same director, uh, by the way. So, well, I, I kind of, um, I thought it was maybe even a bit nastier because when he was, um, when that angel chick was in there with him, I thought he was doing more than just fondling her from behind right before he cuts her head off. Well, if you read, if you read cinema as we do, then you know he is. Do you know what I mean? Like, like he is doing that. Like, like you're, in the way that we read the screen, the image. He's that's why that was way way worse. And particularly from an American standpoint, that's a big no no. Is 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 mixing sex and violence, and uh, that was that was an alarming scene and yeah, very dangerous. You know, but also in front of a group full of other men and on camera, and then he plays it to her best friend. That's next level. Yeah, you're right. The compounding of the of the crimes, one on top of the other, it's one of those things that you could picture that the actor like. That's why some actors get to that point where they like, I don't want to play these characters anymore. Mm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I want to do something for my kids, or I want to do something nice. So like, I I'm sick of playing like the worst human beings ever. Like, you know, and just just reveling in their their evilness. But I, I guess that that's one of the maybe one of the biggest problems is the mismatching tone of this movie because it is so dark and dangerous. Uh, and then you've got those stupid, you've got a huge dong lines. There was another one from the beginning where he goes, oh, so the bad guys got away because you two were too busy whacking on each other and, you know, all the buddy cop bullshit. And it even starts with Dolph swinging in on a rope like he's like swashbuckling in a Errol Flynn movie mm. mixed in with this, pretty horrific stuff it's it's almost like two different movies well and the music reflects that as well it's got it had that uh the sort of harold faltermeyer type um goofball uh, yeah it, it definitely when i heard it i definitely thought oh this sounds like tango and cash you know and not in a good way though like like sort of a bit like because i mean that the, there's some stuff that's really inappropriate as well like during the sex scene there's like full clarinet like sitcom music like it's really weird. To like, me, <laughs> it, it sounded like that this movie wasn't composed. It sounded like they used production music because it was so all over the place and they would repeat, they would carry the same theme and just like restart the song in like back-to-back scenes. Yeah. Did you guys notice that? Mm. So like so it's almost like they've been delivered a score and then they've chopped and changed and moved things or they've around. Or they've reused stuff. Yeah, yeah, reused stuff from different movies, different sources. Yeah. 
I got that sense. It was yeah, it was alarming. It didn't. It had no cohesion, and I felt sorry for the, the composer. I was like, oh man, this is brutal. This is a brutal job that this person's been given. Well, it was it was heavily uh, edited and then re-edited. I think. I think yes. they've got that famous guy that comes into eleventh hour. Yeah, <laughs> wicked. He's a wicked editor. So good. He's great. I thought that Brandon Lee sort of um, outshone Dolph in this film. Like, I know he's got some of the shittiest lines, but I think physically, even though he's smaller, he just seems more comfortable fighting and he's got better moves. But don't you, let's be honest, though, like, as interesting as he is, and there are moments of, of gravitas here and there, but don't you think he's, have people sort of uh, built him up a little too much over the years? Like, is he sort of, like, people read into The Crow and this film a lot. Mm. That I think is maybe isn't there. Like, how big would he really have gotten? Yeah. Well, we'll never know. I don't think he would. I mean, he's not good. And actually, Ricky, <laughs> well, there I- you go, <laughs> Ricky. There you go. Yuri, Yuri just sniped you from the from the. He's field. good in the crow, though. Um, I, I mean, seen it in too long. So he I was a lot better. I, I I don't know. Like, uh, maybe I've seen it more recently than you have. Maybe the crow is so iconic, the imagery and the film that, Maybe. and the story behind it is so, uh, you know, uh, heavy that I feel like, you know, and he's got all that makeup on as well. Like it's not like he's he's in a suit like playing a DA, you know what I mean? Like just, just giving it to a straight. Like he's, you know, I don't know. Yeah, but it's similar to something like Heath Ledger's performance in The, the Dark Knight. Oh, it's know? proper though. But he's covered in makeup too. That's true. I'll wear that. I'll wear that. But that that performance is amazing because I think he's he sucks in all the other stuff he's done. And then I watched The Joker and I was like, oh wow, he's fucking amazing. I was like, he's he's amazing. And I was like, whereas people would moan on him about him before, and I'd be like, this guy's just a, you know, not much. Uh, so I don't know. No, look, he's got Brendan Lee's got something absolutely, and. You know, uh, eerily like his dad. He even does one of his dad's moves in this. You know, that hugging of the legs thing. You know, that's his. That's one of his dad's moves. So I don't know. What do we, What do we think? Well, I don't know. Um, to me, he, he's certainly he's way more athletic than Dolph, hmm. and you know, did did kind of the flashiest stuff. But um, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't quite buy his his fighting all that well. He he looked off balance a lot of the times maybe i'm wrong but uh, to me he almost looked like um keanu in the matrix where Mm. he's learned some athleticism and all this sort of stuff but kind of these in between moments maybe i'm I'm trying a little bit too hard but yeah didn't didn't kind of quite seem like he was comfortable doing it or, or like as fluid as maybe i would have thought he'd be given that he's bruce lee's fucking son but he does in the at the end of the day his performance, I guess, is he's got a little bit more going on than Dolph. Like, again, he wins because Dolph is just, he's just completely impenetrable in this film. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, he's, maybe he is meant to be the straight man a bit, but mm. not really. He's meant to be the kook. So I don't, I don't get it. It's, it's a problem. He, Brandon Lee's at least a lot more likable. Yeah, well, because uh, Dolph does move in on, on to career pretty hard and stuff. And, and mm. like, he, it's not very, yeah, like it, it's not, it's something's out of balance. Like their, their buddy cop thing is is not really, they don't really do much for each other and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, Riggs and Murtaugh, you know, are sort of intertwined and complement each other really well. 
these two are apart from that initial conceit of their cultural background sort of being switched it's sort of they don't really play with it as much actually that never came up much at all really not 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 as much as it should have yeah that should have been consequential to a lot of their turns but the way they approach problems like you know maybe Dolph should have shown some restraint do you know what I mean and maybe the other guy is a a a, a crass American do you know in that red heat kind of way uh where you've got the you know two different cultures so I don't know bit of a problem but some of the other actors uh it's a who's who of Asian character actors we've got uh Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa from Mortal Kombat, Rising Sun, um, or everyone I'm about to mention is also in Nash Bridges, which I have used to watch. Uh, there's a guy called um, Toshishiro Obata. That's Tatsu from TMNT, so Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, the movie. I did, I did pick him. Yes. He's also in Black Rain, I think. Um, so he's the main henchman in this movie. There's Philip Tan, who's our man from Tango and Cash. That uh, He's credited as being Chinese guy in Tango and Cash. He's the guy who... Gets his uh, the stool put on his neck. Yep. Mm. So he's crushed in the car in this. There's Gerald Okamura. Uh, he's the torturer. Now he's the main one of the Wing Kong hatchet men from uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, he's also in Hot Shots too. He's the kickboxing referee in Hot Shots too. Uh, Al Leong uh, is is the torturer in Lethal Weapon, um, and he's he's also in Big Trouble in uh, Little China as one of the Wing Kong. So these guys and then a bunch of others have been in every, like every Asian-themed movie over the last three decades. We've got like Surf Ninjas, Lethal Weapon 4, Samurai Cop, The Shadow, Rising Sun, Last Emperor, and they've all been on Nash Bridges because it's set in San Francisco for obvious reasons. But, yeah, it's just a, a complete who's who of, of Asian actors, you know, and it was, it was wonderful to see them all. But, but you know, a little thankless in the end. I think we, we saw James Hong speak about that in a video we talked about on Big Trouble in Little China, like, you know, be good for some of these people to sort of like cross over and get a bit more play and not just be the sort of background guys of, you know, the guy Jin, like um, uh, Dolph. So, yeah, I thought uh, they were all good. Tia Carrere, so hot. Mm, so now, hot. if they said I had to beat a man down to see a titty, I just might. Okay? <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm just being honest with you. We got stunt titties again and a terrible wig. Okay. All right. The, the wig was not good. So I've done the research for you, Yuri. Okay. So I've done all the research. I've got all the facts for you here. So you tell me what you think of this. So this is from, um, this is her nudography. All right. Tear career nu- nudity facts. She was last seen naked 18 years ago at the age <laughs> of 35. Nude pictures are from Playboy 2003. Mm-hmm. Her first nude pictures are from a movie, Oro, Oro Fino, 1989, when she was 22 years of age. We list more than four different sets of nude pictures in her nudography. This usually means she has done a lot of nudity, so you won't have any trouble finding her naked. She was in Playboy, so they're, 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 so those are probably her best nude photos. A bit of editorial on this website here. Uh, was on, she was on a reality show, Dancing with Stars. She posed nude for Playboy magazine. Um, so it's a bit of a breakdown here of the scene in question. So even a timestamp for you, 50, 00, uh, colon, 50, colon, 01. So 50 minutes in. This is in caps, all caps. Body double. Okay, so this is this is obviously outrage, exclamation point. But bush nude breasts. 
Terra Tabrizi strips down in place of Tia and shows boobs, butt, and brief side bush <laughs> as she gets into a hot tub with Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> so what do you think of a spin-off side bush cinema? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's her nudography. Now, just a little, a little addendum here. On Mr. Skin, who's a very famous, uh, you know, guy who lists um, his celebrity dude, new database by date and what you can see. Um, True Lies, it just says sexy, okay? Intimate Stranger is another film. Sexy. Wayne's World, sexy. Showdown All Tokyo, nude. It's written in red, okay? Nude. But then we <laughs> oh, get Mr. Skin. But then we get the breakdown, okay? So what do you think of, what do you think of the nudography? Well, two things. So after we're finished, I'll be doing some Googling, followed by some Googling. <laughs> Very good. And and I do love your Futurama reference arranged by, was it? Um, was it by date and what you can see? Date and what you can see, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> it's one of the best episodes. It is. It is. So that's, I was outraged at this this body double fake why were there so many fake titties in this movie mm. they were fake right uh, come on they look uh, fake yeah. i would stake my life on it they were fake come the two I high mean, uh, do you mean prosthetic or or well no she was a surgery bo- she was a body double and it was plastic surgery yeah oh i mean it was certainly plastic surgery but um yeah okay. so i'd rather not have the 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 shot like you can make it sexy without having this we didn't have to see so much of her like there are films where people where you see way less and they get into the hot tub and you go, oh, that's classy and sexy and you know, like they treated her like a piece of meat by doing that shot. Mm. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, especially because we had plenty of boobs already. A lot. And I mean that that pool party in the beginning was the pool party I always wanted to go to when I was younger. I know we've talked about Yeah, this. there were so many titties in this movie. We talked about <laughs> <laughs> Talk about that 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 being the sort of bad guy party you always wanted. Yeah, you know. Oh no! It turns out I had seen this movie before because what I did always remember is the sushi on the naked chick. Yes, yes. that is the yep. most famous bit for me. That, to, that's tattooed in my brain from when I was a talk, kid. We used to I talk about that, that from when I was a kid. That's we right. Talked, we talked about that in the playground endlessly. Yeah, endlessly. Apparently, there was a strip joint in Perth back in the day that you could eat off chicks. Only in Perth. Well, don't you think that, like, I don't know, wouldn't it have been cooler if they'd done that sushi bar with the naked chicks and not mentioned it as well? Because Brandon Lee does mention it. Yeah. As well. Yeah, and then he brings it up at the end. We're going to go back to and eat yeah, fish off the naked chicks. Yeah. Mm. It's cooler if you don't mention it. That's right. So, but there's a lot of titties, bosoms everywhere. Um, fake, all fake though, except one maybe pair. Mm. So what? Why? Why is this obsession with fake titties? Well, I feel like the '90s was a more fake titty time than yes. than now. Now men are obsessed with uh, Riley Reid. With with well, just natural, just like like real. They want it to be real, you know. Whether it's big or small, it has to be real. But you know the only the only uh, problem with that is there are those those obsessive basic guys out there who want the bolt-ons. They do. They ruin it yeah. for everyone. They ruin it for everyone. They're like, oh, I love those bolt-on titties. And you're just like, what is wrong with you, you pig? Yeah. You know, just let the woman be, let her, let her be. 
Mm. You know, why you got to put the pressure on like that? And they're like, no, I don't care. I want the blonde. I want the big bolt-ons. I want it to be on a on a on a motorcycle, on the back of a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, on the pussy seat. Yeah, on the pussy <laughs> yeah. seat. And you're like, what is wrong with you? You know, it's a, that's a real kind of guy, don't you think? Who likes all that? No. Sure. That's <laughs> 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 well, not me. Is what I'm saying. So anyway, that's all the titties. I gave you everything you needed to know about that. So this movie was ludicrous. Um, it was nasty. These cops, they're terrible cops, okay? They're no good. They are killers <laughs> and they need, they need to go to jail because they, they killed a lot of people. And why? why? So they have their final fight at the end, right, uh, London and, and Tagawa. And why did the two samurais at the festival have real swords? I, I did write that down as well. Did you? Real swords. Well, because I've got a katana. Yes. And it couldn't be any more useless. It's not even close to being real. It can't, <laughs> it can't be sharpened. It's, it's, it's like it's nickel-plated. It's, it's, you know, why, why would they have real sharp katanas? Did you, did you guys see the uh, YouTube video I sent you today? I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. So I... Earlier today, I had the thought, can you really slice someone's head off in one one chop using a samurai sword? And there is a video of a guy demonstrating. It's almost like um, Mythbusters sort of a show. You know, It's not Mythbusters, though. And they're cutting various things with this And, of course, and- that's a gaijin in, 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 a, in a, like a Japanese traditional robe, no, yeah, yeah, you know, like full uh, Japanophile, <laughs> yeah. you know, like about 55 or something bookish, yeah. you know, like it's exactly the guy you think it would be. That's you know? right. Yeah. Yeah. A guy who's just obsessed with, with samurai. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They do. They do chop through a pig's, what is it? Like a pig's shoulder. like a or shoulder or something. Yeah, yeah. With like a bone in it that they were yeah. saying this is as close to human flesh and mm. bone. And they do it in slow-mo as well. So it is legit. Like, I, I didn't think that, that you'd, you'd be able to do it in one, one, you know, one swipe like that. But it seems you can. <laughs> you can. So, yeah, that, that was very surprising. And anyway, what we're saying is that at the end of this movie, they couldn't do that because they, don't, they wouldn't have real swords. Those yes. samurais. But, the, but, you know, and I know that's not the biggest crime of the movie, but you've got to find another way to get them the swords. Mm. You can't just do that. You know, yeah, stupid. Yeah, just steal them from a cosplay guy who's just cosplaying samurai. It's fucking stupid. It really takes you out of the movie. Like you just go stop that. Like I mean, they 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 didn't care. You know. So anyway, but what do you expect? I mean, this guy Mark Lester, he's done a couple of his contributions: Firestarter, Commando, and Class of 1999. So I've seen all those movies. So, um, but I mean, they, they they had so many ludicrous, like you know, they had the unnecessarily elaborate killing mechanisms. Like, you know, like from a Bond movie where they left them in the car crusher unattended so they had time to mm. escape. There yeah, was... but they had them dead to rights about five times, though. Like, yeah, they, that's what was... I mean. They could have just shot them in the fucking face. There were so many times where they, where these guys walked into a, um, you know, a, a, a terrible situation with a million guns and, and the guys had every right to just kill them. And that, 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 that is the sort of stuff that you need to get straight. You know what I mean? Like it's about setting up the rules of your world and then going, like it's like in T2, I use T2 a lot, but you go, okay, the rules are 
that the T1000, you know, he's got these these parameters and, and um, you know, basically the rule is simple with the T1000. If you get within, you know, probably, I don't know, two meters of this guy, you're dead, okay? So we need to keep the characters at all times, regardless of what's going on, two meters away from this guy because he, and the other movies break this rule consistently. They have like people who liquid metal or whatever picking up, characters that they could just kill like you know with a with a spike to the eye or or just get you know what i mean like so they set those rules the way james cameron does and they stick to it and you know you maintain the stakes you maintain the the, the, a, a relative amount of logic and it makes sense and that's why his movies are next level and that's why this movie sucks is because this movie you know, wants the affect it or, or the effect. Sorry, it wants the the end result, but it doesn't care about the the logic. So, you know, there are there are times when you know our guys we know that like, you know, they they've used too much force, so they've killed a bunch of guys, and they're going to have a lot of questions answer. They don't have to fill out paperwork. They don't have any pressure on them whatsoever. Like it makes lethal weapon, which you know, lethal weapon's a good script, but you know, and it is ludicrous, but it, it's way better than this. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So um, it's just one of those things. In Lethal Weapon or in any James Cameron movie, did the good guy punch through a wall to grab the bad guy by the dick and then pull him back through the wall? No, that did not happen. So this movie wins is what you're saying. (laughs) Yes, that is what I'm getting at. Yes, that is what I'm getting at. Very silly film. So, you know, I don't know what to say. Any final thoughts on this film? or? Well, tea is hot. Yes, she, she is hot. She is hot. She she is like one of the sexiest women of the 1990s. Absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah, hands down. Mm. You know she's uh, she was discovered in a Waikiki grocery store. Oh wow! And was cast in a movie called Aloha Summer. She's Hawaiian, isn't she? She is. She, well, she's born in Hawaii, but she's uh, of Spanish, Chinese, and Filipino ancestry. So she's not like native Hawaiian, right? Um, but how about this? She, she trained as a singer and she performed all her own songs in the Wayne's world films. Uh, she's got two Grammy awards for music that she's released and she turned down a role in Baywatch to audition for Wayne's world. Fucking amazing move. I know, but still, I feel like both were a good choice, you know? Yes. But like, you know, Baywatch has not aged well, and Wayne's World can be watched today. True, but it arguably Baywatch would have made her a bigger star. Maybe I guess so. It would have been, she would have been big. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's a good choice to have. But she's got a lot of her. It's a shame she's she's done such um, I don't know middle middle road sort of stuff, like or, or even a lot of low budget sort of stuff. Like it's it's a shame because she's she's got she's got something. And I feel that she never really got her. Well, maybe Wayne's World. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's her her main thing. But she's always the, you know, the offside. Again, I just felt for her. I was like, oh man, like you know, you always have to just be this sort of like offsider to some. What, what about True Lies? Yeah, she's all right in that. Like Rising Sun. I got to see Rising Sun again. I think that'd be right up my alley now. Sexy nineties business movie. Mm. You know. Oh, how was Dolph's Japanese? Dolph's Japanese is uh, quite good. It's not, it's, I'll tell you what, Stephen Seagal's a lot better. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Uh, Stephen Seagal's got like native level, um, like pitch accent. And uh, 
you know the the but they're speaking different Japanese as well. So so the the type of Japanese Dolph was he was speaking tough guy Japanese like yakuza style. So no um, honorifics, no no politeness, you know, and it's a very specific way of talking, very difficult to understand for me. And uh, uh, I thought, yeah, it was it was generally generally pretty good. And and um, I did, 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 wait, there was no subtitles, uh, was there? It was just they were just speaking, mm, right? Yeah, I I didn't get any. Yeah. So, um, which I liked. I was like, oh yeah, this is cool. Like, it was really quite immersive in that way. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, it's Japanese. Was it was it was it was pretty good. So, um, you know, uh, it's certainly. I think the and there was a whole bunch of it in the movie. Whereas uh, you watch some movies, like there's a movie called The Outsider with Jared Leto on Netflix, where he becomes one of these sort of like gaijin fantasy movies where you become like the last yakuza or whatever, and it's like him, and he doesn't speak much in it. And, you know, it's very bare bones, whereas, like, you know, um, Dolph's really mucking in here. I like it. I like it. Well, Europeans, they're much much more used to having to speak multiple languages, you know. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so he'd be he'd speak Swedish, English, shit, Japanese, German, God knows what else. Yeah. He'd be all over it. All right. I suppose we should wrap this up. Um no final thoughts on this one. I'm surprised I didn't remember the he, he, you know getting the the pinwheel of death ending. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty outrageous. I, I guess the only upside is is that I mean they went all in. They absolutely went for it at the end there. So well, it's just one of those things where everyone would be like, "That's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life." Do you know what I mean? Like it's the most horrific thing. Like I just saw mm. a guy get stabbed, and by a co- someone who thought it was good guy, a cop like you know stabbed him against this pinwheel, and then he ex- made him explode. He just stood there and watched it and didn't stop it. Like it and and the crowd loves it. Like there was so much cheering, by the way. Yeah, because there's a shot of uh, of Brandon Lee like cheering that he's nailed on the all the all the ADR of the crowd is just cheering. People are into it, into the whole thing. So they're all complicit what i'm saying mm. well japanese lives matter too so <laughs> me too <laughs> so jlm well uh i so that's that's Dolph. uh we'll have a think about who's next so there's a lot of options you know we could go uh we've got you know wesley snipes we've got chuck norris you know what are we thinking what are we feeling mm, yeah wesley snipes maybe chuck maybe. norris ben, is a good idea i do love demolition man you want you want most oh actually yeah because that we could do demolition man because i also wanted to do if we we're doing snipes i wanted to do like passenger 57 or something yeah. i was thinking passenger 57 <laughs> yeah, let's do it let's do it definitely we, not coming to america too oh shit no i haven't even seen it <laughs> sadly i have oh dear 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 well i mean you did say you saw the outsider so i mean you know yeah. glass houses <laughs> That's right. So we're all watching cheap shit on streaming. Oh, <laughs> uh, dear, dear. All right. Well, I think that's uh, a, a, a successful uh, entrance, uh, uh, so entry into um, uh, our catalogue of Mano Amano, Doff Wonder. So, um, all right. Well, uh, we said what we said, gentlemen. Anything that we can all stand by, what things we, we said? 100%. Ride or die. <laughs> Good. Uh, I'm not sorry for nothing. <laughs> yeah, I like it. <laughs> I like it. Well, long live the new flesh. Long live the new flesh.
<laughs> That's true. <laughs> he does hold it weird. <laughs> Harry, don't you think he holds it weird? <laughs> 